We're continuing in this Easter season celebrating the fact that hope is alive in the resurrection of Jesus. And like the marks that Jesus showed his disciples and his hands that we heard about in our lesson last week, we see signs of resurrection hope in the CLM program that we're supporting in our resurrection project this year. Women on the central plateau in Haiti that are reborn through the opportunity they are given for a sustainable life in that program. It's an opportunity created out of the care of caseworkers for the women in that program, the most vulnerable people in their country. And it's an opportunity made possible through the support provided by people like you that contribute to our resurrection project. Last weekend, we had a congregation council retreat, and as part of that retreat, we dug into the question of why. We often focus on questions of strategy, the the what we are doing, the how we are doing it. We're good at asking it what questions and how questions, but this past weekend, we talked about the importance, especially in the church, of asking why. And I think it's an interesting question to ask when we think about our support of the Resurrection Project. Why do we support CLM? And there can be multiple answers for this. You could say, why Haiti? Well, because of our Western society's complicity in their slave history there. Or it could be more simple, whatever the past. You could say Haiti is spitting distance from Florida, but Florida has a per capita GDP that is 36 times that of Haiti. So why can simply be about how much we have compared to how little others have around the world. But why also goes beyond the particularity of Haiti. Why do we care about how much others have? You might make the macroeconomic argument that too great of a wealth gap creates this wealth inequality that's ultimately destabilizing for our global economy. But that's an argument to have in an economics class. Regardless of the impact on the economy, the question I want us to wrestle with Today is why, as followers of Jesus, do we care about the fate of people in Haiti? Or even farther away in a place like Yemen, or even down in Cincinnati at Price Hill, or even right down our own hill at MacArthur Park. Why do we care as followers of Jesus about the fate of others beyond ourselves and our families. And there are so many routes to take to answer this question, but one of them is found in our gospel lesson for today. Jesus says there, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So, there will be one flock, one shepherd. Why do we care about others? Because Jesus cares about others, because all of the sheep of this world are His. 
Therefore, if we want to see ourselves as belonging to Jesus, well, by definition, then, we become a part of each other. But Jesus calls us one in the body of Christ. So, as the church continues to wrestle with the implications of what this means, the writer of 1 John then says, we know this, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and in action. Why do we help others in need? We help because by the love of Christ revealed in His death and resurrection, we are made one with one another. And therefore, what I pray is true is that this oneness rooted deeply in the body of Christ that unites us with brothers and sisters in places far off like Haiti, and it also makes clear to us that we are one with each other here and now in this place. And I pray that this isn't just lip service, but rather a deep and abiding conviction that shapes our way of being in this world. Take stock of the world this week as we consider the implications of what it might mean for this to be foundational in our lives, and also consider the costs of instead seeing the world through a zero-sum game of an us-versus-them culture. The Chauvin verdict came down this week and emotions were high. As the verdict was announced, some were jubilant about the justice they saw that they felt was a long time coming. Others were still deeply disturbed because they felt like it was a very small step forward and a long history of steps backward from justice for all people. And still others were distraught because of statements made in anger and frustration that can be seen as painting all law enforcement personnel in a negative light. And as that debate rages, the gulf between sides continued to grow as you watch two realities play out. On one side, another young black girl was shot by police in Columbus, while on the other, police officers again and again were keeping people safe in our communities day after day after day. But we've painted ourselves into corners where we're acting like only one of these realities can be true at one time, but it's simply not true. There are too many black people being killed by police. This is true. We need real reforms in the way that we police our streets. It's not enough for Derek Chauvin to go to jail. We need changes in our systems, in our training, and in our communities. But it's also true. At the same time, that police face an impossible task in all that we ask them to do as social workers, relationship counselors, youth workers, and law enforcement. The breakdown of too many families, high rates of poverty, drug addiction, and an epidemic of guns in our streets makes their jobs extremely difficult. It's dangerous every day for our police 
to go out into the streets. In June, it will be six years ago that our community here in Loveland lost an incredible father, husband, mentor, and friend to so many in Sonny Kim. His death reminds us of the perils and risks of being in law enforcement, and his life reminds us of the good that police officers can and do do in our community. The reality that too many black lives are lost needlessly and the need to support and care for our police force are true at the same time. We need to continue improving policing both for the sake of minority communities and for the sake of officers in the streets. We need to do this. We can do this but only if we get past divisive rhetoric that places people on opposite sides from each other. And instead, we start from a place of love and care for all people, the love of Jesus that centers us in community. All of the sheep in the one sheepfold. Jesus loves all of humanity, no matter the color of the skin. Jesus also loves all all of the police officers and the work that they do in keeping people safe and preventing violence and the loss of innocent lives in our communities. Because Jesus loves both the African-American people and police officers, we love them both equally, fully. So calling each other names and increasing hateful speech is not going to move us closer to the promised kingdom. Acknowledging pain and suffering abuse and a loss wherever and however it happens, and vowing to make a better way for all of us together, well, that is the way of the Good Shepherd that loves us all. Loveland High School this weekend produced a fantastic musical entitled The Theory of Relativity. It takes place in a college physics class. And the play begins and ends with the same supposition that originated in philosophy and now finds itself intersecting with metaphysical research. The supposition is, I exist only if observed. And therefore, the theme of the show that's ultimately the closing anthem rings out is that I am nothing without you. So the whole play takes what looks like a homogenous group of college students, and one by one they tell their very distinct, unique stories of their existence. No one is the same. They all have different stories to tell. They're all shaped and molded differently, but yet they are bound together in their humanity. You see, Jesus wasn't just hinting at something that he thought was a good idea. No, Jesus died and rose again to connect us to this deepest truth of our metaphysical existence. We are nothing without each other. We are bound to each other, and Jesus shows us that there's a magical, life-giving gift in giving ourselves over to this reality in love for each other. We were made for community. We were made for love. This is the why of why we care for each other. We find a way through our divisions, 
It's why we grieve the death of every police officer that dies in the line of duty and why we grieve the death of every young black child that dies in the streets. It's why we care about all women way out on the central plateau of Haiti. That's the why of why we care just about the kids there at Haiti, just as much about those kids on the central plateau of Haiti as we do about kids down on Price Hill, just as we care about those kids down at MacArthur Park just as much as we care about our own kids. Why we care. Why we care is that we are nothing without each other. We need each other because we need to be loved and we need to love. And Jesus shows us what true love is. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Little children, little sheep, follow in the way of the good shepherd who calls us into the one flock together. Together in love for the sake of all. Amen. Receiving love, we give.